My name's Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to get to know you. Go to risedenver.com slash connect. Fill out that I'm new form. You can do it here in person. Get out your phone. Do it right now. I want to connect with you. I want to get to know you and, and just welcome you to our church. We are going to start our Lost and Found series today. Um, and and I, I just think it's a good day. We, a lot of us are finishing up our community group. You know, we've kind of had a season of being in community group. Who in here is in a community group or has been in one before? Yeah, yeah. Community groups are really, um, you know, our community here in this church, and they're kind of finishing up a semester. They're going to launch again in September, but coming up this summer, we do have women's Bible studies and a men's group that's starting here in a couple weeks, so that's a great way to connect, even as we're not going to have those regular semester of community groups starting. Um, We had a a great time with our community group. We all met at the park this last Thursday. It's kind of like a fun, like, get-together afterwards, and it was just so great to be together with community. We believe in vibrant community here, which means we are real with each other to grow together. When we're real with each other, when we open up our lives, it actually helps us grow and it's really important. So we want to encourage you guys to get plugged in, whether it's in those men's and women's groups this summer or into our community groups in the fall. Keep an eye out for those. But we are going to start our Lost and Found series today and I think it's it's going to be a really good series because we all are lost. We're all lost. This past week, I was invited by a pastor friend on the other side of town to um, coffee and it was a place I hadn't been to before, so he sent me the, the Google Calendar invite. And while I set out to drive, it was like during rush hour, I just clicked, and it you know, goes from the Google to my map, and I just was following the directions, right? So Siri's telling me where to go. I'm turning right, I'm turning left. Uh, it's a little bit of a weird route. You know, I-70 to 270, and I'm thinking, okay, it's probably because of like the, the mile-high shift that's coming. Have you guys seen this? Like, I'm thinking, okay, this is why it's taking me on this weird direction. I've never been this way before. Don't know where I'm going. But I'm just, I'm following it exactly. Like, I'm not missing anything. But it, but it tells me to get off on this exit. I'm like, that's a weird exit to get off of. I turn down here. I turn down another street, and I'm like, I've never been here before. And then this street has like the potholes like the size of my Jeep. And there's like, it was a rainy day, so there's puddles. And I'm driving under this tunnel. I'm like, this doesn't look like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm still following the directions. I'm like going down into this industrial zone. And I'm like, where the heck are we meeting for coffee? I'm going the right place, right? Well, it turns out that somehow Google had given me the wrong coordinates, okay? It was sending me to some latitude and longitude that was not anywhere near where we were going to have coffee. Finally figured it out, I I text my buddy, hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late, and then I get back on and then go to the right place, right? Anybody done something like that before? I'm going to the right place, right? I'm following the instructions, it's telling me exactly where to go, and yet I am lost anyways. Maybe you've done this, if you've ever driven up in Greeley, like 20th Avenue, oops, nope, 20th Street, okay? Greeley like just wants to trick everyone when you go there, right? Yes, some Greeley residents know what I'm talking about. Or, or I have some friends that went to the right city in the wrong state. Yep. Oh, we're in Springfield. Wrong one, you know. Hundreds of miles, hours wasted driving to the right place, but it's actually the wrong place. And I think that that's what happens in life. We're following directions. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're following what everybody else is doing with life. Getting my degree. I'm getting married. I'm, I'm doing life. I got the kids. I got the, the job. I, I'm, I'm making money. And my business is expanding. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And yet at some point, we all realize that we're lost. This isn't what I thought I was supposed to do. Or I thought I would be somewhere different at this age and stage in my life. That we have this sense of anxiety or even depression about this isn't what I wanted with my life. We're lost even though we've been following the directions. (laughs) And in this series, we're going to talk about it and show how Jesus provides a better way. 
We're going to go through Luke chapter 15 all the way through 17 in this series over the next six weeks as we learn from Jesus himself as he helps us as, as we're lost spiritually, as we're lost with things like money and other things in our life. So what I want to encourage you to do, whether this is your first time or, or someone sent you this message or you stumbled upon us by a Google search or a YouTube you know, thing came up, whatever it is, I want to encourage you and challenge you to commit to this entire six-week series. Commit to it. And you're like, well, I'm traveling. I'm going on vacation to Aruba. Well, great. You can still join us online. Or you can subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss a single one of these messages. So that's my first challenge. Everyone should commit to this entire six-week message series. Even if you're an unbeliever, think I'm crazy, commit to it. Just listen to it before you reject it, okay? Because you are lost and God wants you to be found. And we're going to see that especially today that our Father in Heaven who loves us is inviting us to come home, to come home. Because home is one of those things that we all long for. When you remember back at home when you were a kid, maybe you have this memory. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was a kid, teenager, maybe a young adult, and you think, oh, back, back then it was so great. We all have this sense in our heart, and some of us try to recreate it or refine it. It's a homesickness we have, but one of the crazy things is sometimes we're even homesick at home. Ikea did a survey and they found, as they surveyed people and they said, where do you feel most at home? 20% of respondents said somewhere other than their home or apartment. 20%. They did the same poll two years later and the numbers had increased to 35%. So more than a third of people say, I don't feel at home at home. I think there's a sense that we all have that idea of homesickness. Madeline Madeline Langle um, once wrote, We are all strangers in a strange land, longing for home, but not quite knowing what or where home is. We glimpse it sometimes in our dreams or as we turn a corner and suddenly there is a strange, sweet familiarity that vanishes almost as soon as it comes. Have you ever had that sense? Ever had that feeling? It's why G.K. Chesterton, the British author, would say that he feels homesick at home. There's this sense that there's something better, there's somewhere better, that, that maybe I am lost and I want to be found. I want to find my true home. So if you have that sense right now, or you've had it in the past, or you will have it in the future, what we're going to learn today, that our Father in heaven, God himself, is saying, come home. That he loves us. That he's waiting for us. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. If you have your smartphone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app, and we have a special event there. You can take notes. If you're online, open up another browser, perhaps. We're going to cover this entire chapter today. It's a lot. So what that means when we cover a big section, we don't read every verse and every word, but every word and every verse is important, so read it. It's important. I'm going to kind of summarize some of these stories as we look at them. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus teaches Three stories, but what's really interesting, Luke writes that he told one parable. It's not plural. It's an interesting little insight. So Jesus is telling all three of these little stories as one bigger parable that's teaching a deeper spiritual truth, one that we desperately need to hear, all of us, because we are all lost. So the first story Jesus tells, and it starts in verse 3, if you're following along in your Bible, is about a shepherd who loses a sheep. So the shepherd has 100 sheep, which would have been a normal flock size, and, and one of them wanders off. So the shepherd would have been counting, okay, one, two, you know, you'd have to with 100 sheep. Some of you have to count your three kids, and you still lose one, right? Okay, so there's 100 sheep, 
I mean, definitely you've got to count him one, two. Oh, shoot, did I count you twice already? Okay, you know, th- this is what he's doing. And finally, he gets through the count, and he realizes, uh-oh, there's only 99 of these 100 sheep here. So what does the shepherd do? The shepherd leaves the 99 in the open country. They're all together. They're a herd. They're a flock. I'm going to leave them so that I can go after this one sheep that has gone away. And he looks for that sheep. He, he tries whatever he can to find it. And when he finally finds that one lost lamb, he picks him up, puts him on his shoulder, and returns. And that's where I'm going to pick up the story here in verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. Verse 5, it says, And when he finds it, the shepherd, he joyfully, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I found my lost sheep. This is interesting, okay? He's like, I want to throw a party. I'm happy. I found the sheep. I had the sheep. Lost the sheep. Now I got the sheep again. Party! Okay, if you're thinking, well, that's kind of a small thing to party about. It's not for the shepherd. And, And that is a little weird thing. Whenever you're reading a parable or a story and there's something weird there, and you're like, well, would I throw a party for that? Okay, you should perk up. This is important. That's why Jesus is telling this story. He's saying that this shepherd is so happy that he wants to celebrate, throw a party for the one sheep that he found. And then he tells the deeper spiritual truth behind why that party is happening. Verse seven. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Saying there's the righteous, there's the flock, there are the churchgoers, there are the believers, and they're all, they're all there and they're, they're living like they're supposed to. But when that one who's lost, the one sinner goes astray, and that sinner is found, it's time to party! Celebration! How exciting we found the lost sheep! Jesus is telling us. What Jesus is saying is that Some of us are lost. Some of us are wandering in sin and we've been going down maybe the path the world says or the path that we think that we've got to go after this pleasure and this this thing that's sin. And we know it's wrong. We're doing it anyways because we want to find something. That we're searching after something. We're following the directions. More pleasure, more fun, more trips. I've got to do more stuff. I've got to make more money. And we're going after all these things. And what in reality is we're lost. And when we realize that we're lost... And then we can be found again? It's time to party. <laughs> Our Father in heaven, all of heaven, is rejoicing. They're throwing a party. Yeah, woohoo! Celebrate. The sinner who's lost is found. And this doesn't even matter how many times we sin or how stupid we are. Do you know that sheep are pretty stupid? They really are. They're dumb creatures if you've ever been around them. They wander off where they're not supposed to, and they, they get lost and everything. There was a, a little video going around social media a couple weeks ago, and I thought <laughs> you might like this because it shows us how dumb sheep really are. So here's this, this young boy, probably, you know, the shepherds in the family, getting, the, getting that lamb, pulling him out. Great, rescued, woo! <laughs> right back in the ditch, right back in the ditch. Oh my gosh. What were you thinking? We just rescued you. And yet somehow, slow motion now. Right back in. I think there's a reason why sheep is one of the most common metaphors that God uses for his people. We're dumb. We go the wrong way. We get lost. 
Then we're found again, and we get lost again the exact same way. We sin a certain way. We, we fall into an addiction or into a bad relationship. We get out of it rescued. Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus, for rescuing me. And then right back at it. Back into sin. Back into addiction. Back into that same tired type of relationship that almost destroyed us before. Isn't that what we do? We are dumb sheep. We are lost. And when we recognize, though, that we're lost and we can be found again, it doesn't matter how many times we do the same stupid thing. Our Father in Heaven is rejoicing. He's throwing a party. You are found. Come home. Come home. That is the heart of our Father in Heaven. And in case you didn't get it from that story, Jesus tells a second one, right? His second story is part of the same, the same parable. He tells about a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. What you're going to see here is a progression in these three stories. In the first story, there's 100 sheep. One is lost. Now there's 10 coins and one is lost. Okay, and you don't need a degree in economics to know that the less of something you have, the more valuable it is. Okay? So this woman has 10 coins, and by the type of coins, this probably would have been a daily wage, meaning this woman is not very rich. She is a day laborer, and she has 10 coins. This is her entire savings that she has to live on. And of this savings, 10%, one of those 10 coins is gone. Now, there were no banks. There was definitely no Bitcoin, whatever that is. Okay, none of that stuff. There was nothing. There was no digital phone that she could transfer money over Venmo to another person. She had to hide her money in her house somewhere. Okay, you would have thought very carefully about where you're going to hide this money, right? You would have dug under your house in those days, or you would have hidden it somewhere. So she would have done that with her money, but somehow she goes to look for it, and one of those 10 coins, 10% is missing. So what does she do? Oh, well. No, no, no. She, she scours the house. She tears it apart, looks everywhere. She's probably digging under her house. Says she gets out a broom and she can sweep, so maybe she can hear the coin. She gets out a lamp at night. She's still searching in the dark. She doesn't have a flashlight on her iPhone to find it, but she's looking everywhere she can to find this one coin because it's that important to her. And finally, she finds it. She finally finds it. And, and that's what Jesus says in verse 9. It says, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, just like the shepherd, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, verse 10, Jesus tells us the significance. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not only is God the Father excited, the sinner repents, the sinner returns, he comes home. But all the angels are throwing a party. You know, they're playing some celebration. Celebrate good times on their harp, right? Okay, whatever it is, they're excited. That's why we, we do that here. When, when someone raises their hand to say, I follow Jesus, we say the angels are rejoicing with you. When we have a baptism, there's a party going on in heaven. We can't see it, but it's happening. It's a celebration, and we're so excited about it. And that's what Jesus said. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the angels. We, we want people to come home, and when they do, it is time to celebrate. It is an amazing thing when a sinner who is lost admits it and they can be found. It's an amazing thing. I will never forget in Nebraska, when we were there, there was, there was a woman and she had got involved with a sin and it was a very, very public sin. So much so that she got fired from her job. She was the gossip of the entire small town, right? Everyone knew about this and she immediately stopped coming to our church. We went... After, we'd call her up, we'd, we'd, whenever we'd see her, we'd invite her back, we'd, we'd go to her house, 
And still she stayed away because of the shame she felt for her sin. It was a small town, okay? You can't hide in a small town. Everybody knows. But I will never forget, there was a Sunday that I was in the back of the worship service. Sometimes I do that. Everybody else is is worshiping in the service. And and she snuck in, right? She kind of like peered around the corner. And you could see it on her face that she was like, am I welcome here? Is it okay for me to return? I will never forget because there's a whole bunch of people that went up immediately to her and hugged her. She didn't need to say anything. We were so happy to have her back. That's how we're supposed to be when a sinner repents. We're so excited that you're back. We love you just like our Father in Heaven loves you, just like the angels are celebrating. We are too. We love when the lost are found. That's what Jesus says. That's the heart of the Father. If you are lost, and some of you are lost today, our Father in Heaven is saying, come home. I want to throw a party for you. I can't wait to see you. And in case people didn't get it from those first two stories, Jesus tells a third story. And like I told you, there was increasing value with each of the stories. So in the first story, there's one sheep that wanders off. Shepherd gets the one. In the second story, there's ten coins, and the woman looks for that one lost coin. But here in this third story, there are two sons and one of those sons wanders off. Jesus tells this story, it's well known as, as often the prodigal son. But there are two sons in this story, and the younger son says to the father, Dad, give me my inheritance right now. We're not told how old the dad is, so it could have been years, maybe he was real old, maybe you know, it was decades that he still had to live, but the son says, I want my inheritance now. In our day, that would be pretty rude. <laughs> And that day, it was extremely dishonorable. It would be like saying to your dad, I wish you were dead. Because the father didn't pass on an inheritance until he died. And because the, the younger son was the younger son, in those days, the older son got two portions, a double portion of the inheritance, and the younger son, because there was two, would have gotten one, meaning the older son got two-thirds of the estate, the younger son got one-third of the estate, so the father would have had to liquidate a bunch of his assets, sell some property, get money together so that he could give it to the younger son. But he did. The father gives it to the younger son, and the younger son then collects all of his assets, get everything he belongs, and leaves. It says he goes off to a far country. So not only has he dishonored his father, which was sinful, this is breaking the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, wish you were dead but now he's like I don't want anything to do with my family or my faith so he went to a far country meaning it wasn't in Israel it wasn't where God's people the Jews were this means this son is is not going to synagogue every week right he's not going to church every week he's not around God's people he's going as far as he can away from that he said I don't want anything to do with with my dad with my brother with my family with even my own people I don't want anything to do with God I'm going to live the way I see fit and that's what the younger son does. He, he goes and he spends his money and he's got some money. So he's, you know, he's throwing it down. We're not told exactly what he's doing. He says he's involved in reckless living. Reckless spending he's involved in. Okay? He, he's throwing money around gambling. right? He, he's he's um, throwing parties. He's, he's getting drinks. He, he, the older brother accuses him later in the story of spending time with prostitutes. So he's spending it on, on money, on booze. Whatever it is, he's wasting all his money and he gets to the point where he has spent all of it. Okay? He spent all of it. And then there's a famine on the land. Now, this is an interesting detail in this story. And it's one that we often skip over as Westerners. In fact, there was a one Bible teacher 
a Bible scholar, and he had a group of 12 um, Bible teachers that were in training, and he, he, he told them to read Luke 15, read this story. Now, summarize it so they would tell the story. Of those 12 future pastors who, who read this story, guess how many remember this, the detail of the famine? Zero. Nobody brought up that detail. We skipped right over that. He tried it again with 100 Bible teachers. And I think somewhere about six of them picked up on that. Six of them remember the detail. That's pretty bad, right? What was interesting then, he did some work in Russia and he was teaching some Bible teachers there and he asked them the same thing. Okay, you read Luke 15 and then summarize the story. And 44 of the 50 remember the famine. Because they in Russia had experienced a famine a few decades before that when Hitler invaded and attacked St. Petersburg and there was a famine that killed almost 7,000 people in that one town because there was no food. See, we don't get this. <laughs> we don't get this. When there's like... A, a little line to get some gasoline, we freak out. When we have to drive to the other side of town to find toilet paper, we freak out. Remember that? But when there's a famine in, in that day, it wouldn't be that I have to go to another grocery store. There was no food. There was no grocery store to provide the food. So if you were hungry, you starved and died. So there's this famine going on, and this man has now wasted all his money, so he can't even spend, spend top dollar to maybe buy some food because now the price has gone up for everything. He has nothing. He finally finds a job working and cleaning out and feeding the pigs. This is already a pretty low job on the totem pole, right? Feeding the pigs and taking care of them. But it's even worse for a Jew because Jews don't eat pork. They still don't eat bacon today, right? Pigs are considered unclean, according to the scriptures. So here is this Jewish man who's left his faith, and now he's having to work with the pigs. This is like the lowest, most demeaning job you can imagine for this young man. And it says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. So this is even worse. This is eating the food for the unclean pigs. This would be like us, I think, as Americans, like, Okay, you need to eat the crickets that your lizard eats. Ooh, right? I don't want to eat the lizard. I definitely don't want to eat the crickets. This is disgusting. It's unclean. And here he is just longing to be able to eat those pots. He's at the lowest of the low. This famine is awful. And, and I bring up the detail of the famine because we know that this prodigal son has done some sinful, awful things. He has made some very poor decisions in his life that have gotten him to this point. He has sinned. But there's also some terrible things that are far outside of his control that have happened to him as well, right? And I'm saying this because a lot of times it's both of these things for our lives. We have sinned, we have done wrong, we have done terrible, awful things, we've made bad decisions, we make the bad decision again, we're out of money, we're broke, we're, we're, we're struggling, but also bad things happen. There are famines, there are pandemics, there are health issues that happen to us that are completely out of our control. There's something that someone else does to us. The economy goes bankrupt. We lose our job. Our business goes under. Those things happen to us. But for this son, it doesn't matter whether he made the bad decisions or something happened to him. Either way, he is lost. And he finally recognizes it. And the way he recognizes it is because he remembers home. He thinks about home and thinks... The servants in my father's house eat better than I eat right now. 
And he comes up with this whole speech in his mind. He's ready, right? This is what we do. He comes up with a speech saying, maybe I'll go back and, and tell my dad, dad, I, I'm so sorry, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. Please just let me be your servant in your house. Maybe, God, uh, maybe my, my dad will, will do this for me and let me back home. He thinks about home. And he finally decides to go home. And he's preparing the speech, probably thinking about it the whole way on this journey. And he starts heading home. What's really interesting is that in Buddhism, there's also a story of the lost son. I don't know if you knew this. There's a story of the lost son. It comes in one of their holy scriptures. And what's interesting is a lot of people study religions and look, oh, look how similar they are because there's two stories of lost sons. But let me tell you a little bit about this story that occurs in the Buddhist scriptures. There's a lost son. And it says that he um, left his, his father to live in wasteful living. That he's, he's sinning, he's making bad decisions. And it says for some 10, 20, 50 years. That's what it says. So a very long time he's away from his father. And in the meantime, his father actually moves to a new town. His business takes off and he gets very rich, this father, to the point where he's living like a king. And then one day, this son, after decades of wasteful, prodigal living, comes back and he is just begging for work because he wants to eat. And the father sees him a long way off, very similar to our story today, sees him a long way off, but the son does not recognize the father and because of a couple freak circumstances, the father never tells the son that he is his father. And then the father just watches this son. This son has to beg for a job, and it's the lowest job in the town, which is cleaning up poop, not animal poop. Okay? He would go around and pick up people's poop, put it in a basket, and take it out of town. That's what his job. And he does this for days, weeks, months, years. The father watching him the whole time, evaluating him. The, the father kind of looks after him and makes sure he keeps that job in the village and ends up giving him a better wage so he, so he has a place to live. But, but years, it says a couple decades go by with the father watching and never introducing himself, never saying that he is this man's father. And after two decades of that, the father is on his deathbed and he calls in this son. And he finally says, because you have worked so hard and shown me the character that you have, I'm going to reveal to you that you are actually my son and now you get the inheritance. So this is the teaching. The teaching from this in the Buddhist scriptures is that you must work really, really hard. Strive to develop character and show that you are a good person and then at the end you will realize that you have all these treasures given to you and that you are the child of a king. That's not at all like the story Jesus tells. Because do you know what happens when the prodigal son decides to go home, it says that while he is still far off, the father sees him. The father has been sitting there, waiting, watching the whole time. And he gets up. And he would have had to roll up his robes to show off his, his, his legs. And then he started to walk. He started to run. He started to sprint. Old men did not do that in Jesus' day. It was, it was considered dishonorable for a man to run, and especially to show his legs, but he had to because he was running with his robe on. But, but the father doesn't care. He runs out to the son. And before the son can even open his mouth to say this prepared speech, the father throws his arms around the son, kisses him, and welcomes him home. And this is what he says. The son then tries to get out this speech, and the father just cuts him off. He doesn't even care. Uh, about anything that the, the son has to say. But in verse 
in verse 22. In verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Do you know what the differences between these two stories are? One word. Grace. Father didn't need to wait for the son to prove that he was a good person, that he had character and would work hard. The father accepted him exactly as he was. He said, welcome home. I love you. He gave him the robe to, to, to make him a, a prince. He, he gave him the ring to say, you are still my son right now. You don't have to earn it. You're not a servant. And let's celebrate. Let's take the fattened calf. This is what they would have had for a feast, for a celebration. When the king comes over to their house, he said, let's have the biggest party we can. Imagine, bring everybody in. Let's celebrate. And they do. Because that is the heart that our father has towards us. So Jesus is saying, I don't care how lost you are, how far you have wandered into sin. Come home. Now, a lot of people, a lot of us don't understand this. We expect, we, we think, well, God says I have to do this. I'm not good enough. And we create those speeches in our mind. Well, God, um, if you rescue me from this, when we've reached our lowest point, when we've realized we're lost. God, if you rescue me from this, I'll serve you. I'll go to church again. I'll be nice to my mom. Right? We bargain with God. God doesn't care about that at all. He says, come home. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Right now, come as you are. See, I felt this way. I had been saved as, as a young boy. I went to church. My, my parents raised me right. I knew right from wrong. I even got baptized, and yet when I was in high school, I was not walking with Jesus like I should. And I've told this story again, but I spent a night when I was 18 years old, a freezing cold night in jail because I, of the vandalism and, and the illegal activity I had been involved in. And I was, ex literally, I was expecting this divine spanking, like, you know better, like as I'm praying to God and crying out to him in that moment. And instead, I experienced his grace and mercy like never before. I knew in that moment I was forgiven and I was his child. He loved me. That's how our father is for us. Right now, I don't care how lost, how far you've gone. I don't care if you've done the same thing over and over and over again. I don't care how much you know and you still are living stupidly. Come home, I love you. You're welcome home right now as you are. Come on. This is the message that Jesus teaches us. This is the message of the gospel, the good news, that no matter how lost we are, he says, come home. Some of you need to hear that today because you are lost. You've been living in sin. You knew better. You know you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And you have been wasting your money, wasting your time, sleeping around. I don't know what it is. But our Father in heaven right now is saying, come home, I love you. You are my child. Come home. It, it would be nice if the story ended right there. But it doesn't. If you've ever read this story, you know it doesn't end right there. Because there's still another brother. There's the older brother. And, and this is an interesting fact. So the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance. So he had a double portion, but now that the younger brother's back, it means he's going to have to share some of his portion. But this younger brother's back. 
And when everybody's going inside, when they're, they're start roasting this, this fattened calf, the, everybody's starting to celebrate, they're, they're playing some music, the party's going on, the older brother is out in the field, pouting, angry. I'm not going in there. I've been here this whole time doing what I'm supposed to do. I've been the good son. I've been obedient to my father. I've been righteous. I've been obedient to my God. I haven't left him. He's angry because the father has never thrown a party for him. And the father goes out to him in the field. He says in verse 31, My son, the father said, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's the end of the story. What's really interesting here is the father's out in the field pleading with the older brother to do the exact same thing with the younger brother. Come home. Come inside. He would still get to take part in the celebration just like the younger brother, right? He would get to eat some of the fattened calf and have a grand, grand old time. And this, young, this older brother has been able to be with the father the whole time, have a relationship, have fun, have all the inheritance there, eating good, not having to worry about what the, the pigs are eating, okay? This older brother's had everything the whole time, but he's out there in the field not wanting to go in. Do you know why? Because he is just as lost as the younger brother. He didn't even realize it. In his self-righteousness and pride, he thinks he has it all together. At least I'm not like that prodigal son of yours. But the father goes out to him with the same invitation, doesn't he? Come home. Come on in. I love you. You are my son. It's really interesting. At the very beginning of this chapter, we're told the audience that Jesus had as he taught this one parable in these three stories. Skipped over it, but I want you to look at this. In verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors were the rich sinners, and the sinners were the poor sinners. <laughs> okay? These are the bad dudes. Everybody knew they were lost. They knew they were lost. And here they are talking to Jesus. You should throw a party for this. You should celebrate. You should be excited. Verse 2, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people that had been faithful, going to church, reading their Bible, doing all the things they were supposed to do, honoring their father and mother, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, Jesus was talking to both of these audiences that day. He was talking to the sinners. Come home, the Father's waiting for you. You're lost and you can be found and we'll throw a party. There's grace for you and forgiveness and mercy. Come home, you're part of the family. But he had to talk to the religious people too, the older brothers in the crowd. You think you're found because of how good you've been living, but you are just as lost, Jesus is saying. And still the invitation remains, come home. Come home. Repent of your pride and find the grace that is found only in our Father in heaven. Come home, Jesus says. I'm saying this because there are a lot of us here who have grown up in church, that you've done what you were supposed to do, You've seen other people around you lead sinful lives, make bad decisions, and you're looking down your noses at them. Well, you are just as lost as them sinners. But still, the Father says, come home. I love you. You're my child. We're not told 
what the older brother did. Jesus kind of leaves it on a cliffhanger. They're still out in the field. And I think in the same way Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are you going to come home? Are you going to celebrate that, our, that the lost are found just like our Father in heaven and the angels in heaven are celebrating? Or are you going to be out there grumbling because you've lived a better life than other people? How come they get the same reward that I get? And Jesus is saying to you, come home, come home. One of the most um, interesting things about these three, par- these three stories Jesus tells in this one parable is the difference of the last one. See, in the first one, in the first one, there was one lost sheep. So the shepherd left the 91 to seek after the one lost sheep. When there was 10 um, coins, the, the woman looked everywhere so she could find, she sought after the one lost coin. But in the third story, who sought after the younger son, the prodigal son? No one. This is fascinating. In that culture, a lot of scholars think that the father would have been old enough to the stage that he could not have gone out to seek after the lost son. Do you know whose responsibility it was in the family structure in those days? The older brother. But the older brother is home the whole time, not caring about his younger brother. There's a a story in... um, it was told in Time Magazine, it's a true story about a, uh, a man in Vietnam. His name was uh, Lieutenant Daniel Dawson. He was in the army and his reconnaissance plane was shot down over the Vietnam jungle. He was lost. So his older brother, Donald, went out to seek after him. He sold a bunch of stuff and left his wife with $20 so that he could go fly over to Vietnam. He bought a bunch of army gear so that he could go out in the jungles just to look for his brother and find him. The Vietnamese even came up with a name that they called him, which basically meant the brother. And whenever they saw him, no one shot him, no one attacked him. They let him keep looking, because he was the brother seeking after his younger brother. So what I think Jesus was saying um, to these tax collectors and sinners, and what he was saying especially to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he was saying, no one is seeking after the lost, but I am. See, Jesus was the one who's the true older brother, who is the only begotten son of our father, who left heaven, left everything good to spend time and eat with sinners and tax collectors. He loved them. He spent time with them. He sought after them. In fact, he said his life mission statement in Luke 19.10 was to seek and save the lost. He came when nobody else would. He sought after us, so much so that he went to the cross to die In our place, he would give anything that the lost would be found. That's what Jesus says he's willing to do for us. He's coming after us. You are lost. You are lost in your sin. You are lost in your self-righteousness. But he's coming. He wants to put you on his shoulders like the good shepherd and bring you home. Come home, he's saying. Repent today and you'll be welcomed into the Father's house. You are a son or a daughter of the king. So wherever you are today, I'm telling you to come home. And I'm also challenging us too. Because this means as individuals and as a church, we need to seek the lost too. And it means we need to celebrate when the lost are found. That, that when we've had uh, some 20 people over the last couple months accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And seen four people baptized. We celebrate, right? 
We celebrate that. We're excited about that because the angels are celebrating and we celebrate too, no matter how awful and sinful their pasts are. We don't care how many stupid things that they jump back into the ditch again like that dumb sheep. We still love them and say, come home, come home. That's what we do as a church. So we do as individuals because Jesus did that for us. So wherever you are today, I'm saying to you, come home. Would you please bow your heads with me? Lord God, I'm so grateful for this teaching, this teaching of Jesus that is so contradictory and different than what our world says, what other religions say. You don't say, work hard, prove yourself, and then I'll accept you. You accept us as we are. You say, come as you are. And Lord God, we come. We come as awful sinners who have gotten lost, that have wandered away from the truth, even though we know better, that we have lived in sin, wasting away our time. And you still say, come to us. And others of us are the, like the older brother, that we have been self-righteous and proud because we have been the good kid. We have done the right thing, that we didn't go astray when other people did. We have been faithful. And Lord God, would you help us to repent of our pride today and come to you knowing that we are welcome home just as much as the younger brother is. Lord God, welcome us home right now and let us feel home Let us feel home with you. Now with eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I don't care whether you're the younger brother or the older brother, you're lost. And today is the day to be found. So I want you to say this prayer, repeating it after me, and this is just a simple prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you will be welcome home. You are a child of the King. You are welcomed into his household. So what we're going to do is I'm going to say this prayer. And if you're already a believer, say this prayer out loud to give courage to someone who needs to say it for the first time. But please repeat after me. Dear Father, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need a Savior. So I'm coming home. I receive your grace. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and serve you. Amen. Now with eyes still closed, eyes still closed for just a second. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time, would you please just slip your hand up into the air? Would you please put your hand in the air? Praise God. Let us celebrate with those who have made the decision to follow Jesus. Praise God. The angels are rejoicing in heaven. And that's why we celebrate that. Go to risedenver.com slash follow. Fill out that form. We'd love to encourage you and help you maybe take your next step of baptism to go public with your faith. And Lord God, I pray for all of us, the sinners and the self-righteous, the younger brothers, the older brothers. Welcome us home. Pull us to yourself. Draw us to yourself because you sent your son, Jesus, to chase us down, to seek us and find us. And we are so grateful for that. And because of that, we worship you, that you, Jesus, have left the 99 to come after the one. And we praise your name. Amen.